You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just gone 8.35 uh, Central African time and uh, the time of the evening where we join uh, Anwar Qasim on his segment, Driving with Anwar. Anwar, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And hey, you made it. Blackouts all over, but hey, you make a plan. They call you my guy, but not for nothing, Anwar. How are you doing this uh, fine evening? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You know, Brother Shafat, I'm really not in Smigo Beach at the moment. You know, I'm actually at a friend's place. And uh, the reason being, I, I got a thing about darkness. I got this rechargeable light. And, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, it helps to the point. <clears throat> but unfortunately, in Spingo Beach, you know, I, I, when people used to tell me, you know what, we get low chili for two hours and, you know, sometimes so many times a day. I used to wonder to myself, how do these guys do it? But I, I realized we don't get load sharing, but what we do get is lights and water, you know, without those essentials for days on end. And, I mean, look at Springer Beach, for example, at this present moment. I mean, one of the things that actually came on the group chat was there's no pipe to fit the pipe that is broken, I mean, for water supply. They're trying other depots. And then they say one of the substations, the reason we don't have lights because there was a thief that was actually caught electrocuted. He burned to death, obviously. And that is one of the reasons one of our substations are down. So if you look at the excuses and you look at the uh, the, the, the quietness parts, you know, which is is so low at the moment in all different regions, you know, obviously it becomes difficult, it becomes monotonous. And as I always mentioned, you know, our government at present, you know, has created so much of sovereign people because I do not think we can be tested any more than this Deutsche part when it comes to the necessities that we are so privileged to for over the last few years. Now, Jatakala for sharing that. I mean, they have no spares. They don't have that. You notice the vehicles in the uh, in uh, the Itikweni pound. I mean, they got you know latest uh, vehicles. Uh, they don't have tires for it. Uh, they have uh, some bumpers falling uh, falling off. And uh, what type of drivers do they have? Uh, do these people have licenses, uh, Anwar? Hey, most definitely, they do have licenses, I'm sure. That is not the disputable part. I, I think what needs to be disputed is if they can drive or not. Because I, I think we're all knowledgeable in the sense that today everyone's buying the license. You set aside a fee and you get your learners, and uh, within two, three days you can get your license. Even pre-booking nowadays has a figure to it. If you want your, your, your dates to actually come forward, you pay a, pay a price, and I, I suppose the third world country operates in the system, you know. So when you really look at the municipal drivers or the government drivers, you know, with those brand new vehicles of taxpayers' money weaving through streets, that itself will tell you the caliber of driving expertise they might have on their hands. So obviously, Shafar, I won't dispute the fact they don't have the license. It's, what I will dispute is the way they acquired their license, because obviously I think we all seen them driving haphazardly. And if you look at some of the municipal vehicles with the dings and bangs on it, that itself will tell you what type of driving they're accustomed to. Now, Anwara, the question people pose is, is it fair uh, for the municipality to send us a bill end of the month when they compromise our water supply, they're compromising our electricity, and, uh, you know, people are using generators. I mean, it's not cheap to run a generator uh, if you're running it for 12 hours a day. It's uh, costing your arm and a leg, and what? Yes, most definitely. You know, I've got a generator, and a good example is every time my generator goes on, off and on, I, I, I use it for two hours, I knock it off for two hours, or maybe an hour, and it averages five to six hundred rands a day on a small generator. 
And that's not to power the whole household because obviously we don't, you know, utilize all the lights as such. It's just for the fridges, the stoves, the occasional microwave. It puts in pieces of the home. You know, so at five to six hundred rands a day, there's no compensation for it. But obviously, once again, we need to look at from the government point of view, he does not lose money because there's always a fluctuation when it comes to the reading. They have incompetent uh, people that actually been so-called reading. Most of the areas, the, the guys don't even do readings on the meters. And yet these guys are built exorbitant amounts of money and they're forced to pay it. Otherwise, they'll be shut off, as they put it. You know, by the time you do an inquiry, I mean, you know, a good gesture, you know, to our listeners out there. I think we all had the indulged ourselves to phone in some government department at any time, you know. And you realize that you either hang on or the person on the other side of the phone is incompetent. Alternatively, they don't know what you're talking about and they force you indirectly to pay the bill and then they will try to substitute. Then they will try to send somebody to, you know, whatever it is. But it takes months and months. In the interim, the government ends up with hundreds of millions of rands that is not due to him. But you are held at gunpoint and you are forced to pay this amount. And I think we're all aware of that. I mean, a good example I will give is when floods hit Springer Beach and I know the houses weren't occupied. People were receiving bills of about 30,000 rands for lights alone. Water was over 60,000 rands on certain households. You know, standard households, three-bedroom homes. Now, that itself will tell you, if the meters weren't running, there was no occupants, what, where did they get the reading from? And a lot of these people were forced to pay these bills. Now, that is unfair, and that is criminal in itself. Because the government doesn't like to, anyone to, to evade taxes, obviously, because the penalties are over 100%. So if you look at it from that point of view, who holds the government accountable for all these bills that he just throws to us and he forces us to pay them? Yeah, we need to get to the counselor, get a good counselor and get him, you know, used to it for a counselor. But you should, you know, you're a bit of a powerful counselor, Albert. You know, Alhamdulillah, many years ago, there was a party, a friend of mine actually walked through parliament and he asked me to actually represent the area 191, I remember. And I actually initially took it as a joke. I, I wasn't really keen on it. I'm no politician, Abdul Shafar. I'm just a layman. I don't want to be in politics. And, and I, I always believed this year, in politics, you, you, you basically agree to everything, but you do nothing. And if you look at the politicians in South Africa, especially in South Africa, you know, uh, it, it doesn't matter how much of shame they have on their heads, hanging over their heads, when it comes to corruption, when it comes to fraud, all different criminal activities, they still hold positions, you know, and and they still get paid, even if they get uh, uh, basically temporary exchange or whatever you may call it, whatever word that ANC may use, they still get the full package with all the perks and benefits. You know, so really speaking, Bershapat, you really need to be cut out of a different type of plot to be a, a, a politician. And if you don't join them, obviously, you'll be in some pavements, you know, dead and bleeding out somewhere because you've got to join the ruthless, I, I believe. And I, I, it's really not cut out for, I don't think a lot of people are really cut out for politics, Bershapat. I mean, if you look at Pakistan, you know, Imran was an excellent Prime Minister. Alhamdulillah, look at the deficit that he's got on his life. The amount of good he has done for that country, you know, the appreciation that he's got from the people, yet he was ousted once again. You know, and if you're doing good, it's wrong. If you're doing bad, it's wrong. So, which side of the fence is a person that even is set on, Brother Shafat? Good point indeed. Uh, we're living in a mafia state also, Anwar, and as we're talking about fuel prices, you know, uh, how much it costs to run your generator, and there we have uh, what's coming up, Anwar. 
brace for fuel price increase in March. So the fuel price, March is on uh, getting higher and higher, Anwar. You know, I, I don't know why the government imposes a yo-yo effect. And I, mean, it is, I, I think I mentioned it previously on my shows. You know, when it comes to forecasts, if, if you look at America, you know, I mean, we are supposed to be a first world country just like America. Their forecast and basically their fuel reserves last in two years. So the fluctuation is very minimum because it's a two-year uh, reserve they have. We have less than three months supply. So that is why we always the yo-yo effect. I mean, if you look at March, you are mentioning, now it's going up to another 135 for 93 and 95. And then you look at diesel and, uh, at 37 cents. And obviously it's not going to stop them. But the latter part of the year, it'll, it'll carry on, you know, inflating the prices until such point. And there's always a valid excuse and reason, you know. That's why I will never understand. Because the government makes over 40% of the fuel revenue that goes in his pocket to deem fit and do what he wants when it comes to disposing of that money. And that equates to over 100 billion rands annually. And that's a lot of money. You know, that he doesn't really need to account. I mean, really speaking, the ANC is never really audited if you really look in the broader spectrum, right? So uh, now, once again, they were, they're actually blaming the Rand dollar, you know, the fluctuation in that. They're blaming the international oil prices. I think fair enough, uh, Barry Shafar. Come on, we, we, we in business. So you need to get a businessman, you know, to basically streamline and get the best possible price. If you go into a supermarket and you find the price of something is exorbitantly high, obviously you're not going to shop there. You'll shop somewhere else. Why does our government have so-called deals with specific people only? Why doesn't it open and broaden its horizon and benefit the people for once and stabilize fuel? Because obviously because of the price of fuel, we have so much of inflation. The inflation rate is well above the pay rate at the present moment. Now, well said, Dan. And also, when you look at uh, Italy's uh, transport minister says uh, a law to ban fossil fuel cars would be suicide. Hey, I think he's on to something, Anwar. No, definitely. A lot of countries, actually, you know, they had a summit, I think, about a year ago. And many countries actually joined and they signed on this year. And Italy was actually one of the countries that... Come 2035, they will they won't have any fossil fuel vehicles. In other words, they won't have any vehicles that is driven by diesel or petrol. Obviously, because of the ozone, because of the water pollution, because of the environmental effects that uh, the the standard fuel has, you know. So now we have the Minister of Transport. He's trying to impose it. It was actually signed and documented. The the problem is. He never really considered the economy. Uh, he never considered the infrastructure damage that he will cause to the country. Reason being, uh, a lot of companies, hundreds of companies are actually going to close down. Millions of people are actually going to lose their jobs. You know, So once again, we will go back to the word forecast. We knew global warming is going to take place. We knew we contributed to it. We knew the rising of the oceans. We knew that the uh, North Pole is actually melting. We knew all these things. We knew these things in school. We learned it. We studied it. I mean, why suddenly now we have summits that's trying to control these effects? If people took the precautionary measures and if they basically forecast once again, we wouldn't have such a crisis on our hands where we have a lack of jobs, you know, internationally and the closure of companies which actually drops the revenue of a country. So these are aspects that need to be considered and to be addressed before a summit is actually signed upon. I agree, Anwar. Anwar said uh, 
Well, there's ways you can reduce your car's uh, risk of being stolen. Hmm? Take other tires and uh, the steering. <laughs> and, uh, more serious note, Anwar, what should we do? You know, the irony, you just brought a thought to my mind. My mom bought a, a duplex, you know, there in Springer Beach. And when she bought it, there was a massive, outside in, the, in, in, her, in her parking bay, there was this metal sprout that was dug into the ground. And obviously, it was tarred all around, but attached to it was a chain. And the funniest part, the person who owned that property prior to my mom, right, he used to chain his axle every single day in that parking lot. You know, so there is a number of ways you can actually, you know, prevent uh, your vehicle being taken away. But now with the brazen thieves that we have, you know, hijacking is on the rife, obviously. I mean, that is something that you you cannot avoid. The only thing you can really avoid is the fact when you park your car, it needs to be in a safe place. Obviously, we've got remote jamming that we're all away in the last few years. There's placards and balls in every shopping mall. You know, we have security presence there. You know, don't park your car in isolated place. Don't be valuables, you know, showing, you know, that attracts people. Even if a person doesn't want to break into your car, with desperation in the country we live and thievery number one on the list, you know. So obviously people are going to interfere with that vehicle. You know, uh, you, you need to groom yourself. If you look at the FOB keys itself, you can get a FOB cover, and that is the keyless entry to most of the vehicles that we have today. That is quite popular amongst all cars, the keyless entry. And the, the, this casing that you can actually buy comes in a metallic case that does not prohibit anybody to clone it as such. You know, I mean, the thieves also, every time a vehicle is put out there, they, get, they team up like every other business, and they actually find a way to break the system. And every vehicle has been broken into. Every system has been broken into. If you lose your key, it can be a transponder key. You know, the guy will come and duplicate it. You, my machinery in my shop can actually duplicate most of the keys, you know. So if you look at things like this, you just need to be wary. And the, I, I think what I really find odd is the fact that when a person's car is insured, they they, they so unconscious about the surroundings and the car. What they don't realize is that vehicle's under higher purchase. And if that vehicle gets stolen within the first year or second, depending on what plan they have, you know, it'll cost them money from the pocket because at the end of the day, the insurance company will not settle the full value of that vehicle. You know, so there's a number of aspects, once again, when it comes to safeguarding your vehicle. But, you know, I have to say it the way certain people say it, you know, uh, protect yourself before your car. A car is something that you can't replace. But also at the same time, do it in a amicable manner that where you don't actually attract thievery or one of those uh, unscrupulous people, you know. So don't put yourself in harm's danger, basically. Yeah, and then once you're talking, I think about the tracker system and so forth, and uh, uh, that's become quite popular, and uh, they uh, claim to have a recovery rate of uh, over 85 to 90 percent. How true is that, Anwar? You see, that's the problem with stats, because really speaking, I can actually come up with a business idea, and I can tell you, you know what, uh, we have interviewed 100 people, and we have a 98 percent, you know, whatever positive uh, effect when it came to 100 people that we interviewed. The fact of the matter, not to put any company down, right? we will never really know the true stats of it. I mean, that's advertisement. Advertising pays, basically. But if you look at the other side of the coin, although this tracker has come out, there is two ways to eliminate the tracker. And one is the guy is driving to a panted body, a fully enclosed aluminum body, and obviously the tracker loses his signal. 
And the second is there's a scanner out there that where you will actually you will actually can find the track and you can actually dispose of it. And that happened to a friend of mine in Johannesburg at a restaurant one day. You know, he's busy eating the, the track of all intelligence you know, your vehicles are on the move. And but don't worry because we dispatched a helicopter and two vehicles and we following in pursuit and so forth. And the funniest part is they found a tracker box on the freeway. They never did recover the car. So as much as you are telling mm. me that there's a big recovery rate when it comes to tracking itself, yes, it's, it, I feel it's just a deterrent. But I wouldn't really take the specs or the stats that they actually produce as really you know, being true to, uh, to a point. You know, we have a mutual friend that was complaining to me about uh, security companies. And he says, uh, you know, Shaf, uh, they are very quick. Uh, coming and giving you the bill or, you know, co- uh, collecting their subscription fees and so forth. But the service delivery is absolutely pathetic. Uh, and what, uh, you know, would you be in agreement? It depends. I suppose, uh, once again, we might have isolated incidents. I, I mean, it's human error. You know, generally people, if you're having a bad day, the order that you emit around you will be negative. So, yes, we, we will have that occasion. I mean, nobody speaks well of any company. that There'll always be disadvantage. If you go into Hello Peter, for word's sake, and you try to Google a company, you'll find, you'll find certain companies that have a five-star rating, Certain companies will have the same company will have a one star rating. I, I, I think it, will, it all depends on the person's social standing, the person's mind or mindset at a specific period of time. So a number of contributing factors. But when it comes to that, I, I can't really demise and say, you know what, the company itself, no version of It all depends. But I, I think we all had certain bad experiences in certain good uh, companies. You know that we can relate to, but we can't really brand the company. You know, uh, stating that uh, you know what uh, the company on the whole is really bad. No. Yeah, and well, uh, we can't let you go because uh, of uh, you know you have that expertise as uh, uh, you know in your commercial field as uh, where you're a lecturer and so forth. Uh, you know, eight things that are or many things that are stressing out our businesses in South Africa right now. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, if you look at, I think it's you know top of our tongues load shedding for words sake, and I'm going to give you two companies, you know, and if you look at Shoprite Checkers itself, Shoprite says spends an average of three million rands a day in all their stores, just acquiring generators. In other words, getting diesel to run the generators. That's three million rands a day, right? If you look at Pick and Pay, Pick and Pay spends sixty million rands a month just to operate the generators. Now, obviously, just, just look at those two figures. And I, I think most of us shop in these uh, stores, right? And that itself will tell you, they are not going to lose money. So obviously, that is the reason when we go in, the shelf prices, the products are, are, are so exorbitantly high because they've got to absorb their losses. Now, once again, that money goes, the revenue goes back to the government. So if you look at low chilling in the broader spectrum, you find that it's a win-win situation for the government. Here, if we had to really analyze it, the government is giving us low chilling, which means he saves money, but he has increased the tariffs by over 200% in the last two years. So it's a win-win for him. And then you find that the diesel prices, they, uh, I mean, going up uh, about 37 cents. And if you look at the diesel price itself, it's quite high nowadays. Right? And these guys are spending all these millions of rands keeping generators where the government's supposed to allocate and somehow, you know, uh, basically subsidize them, which he doesn't. Right? So if you ask me that the best business person in this country is the, the government himself. 
because it's always been a win-win situation. So you can take away your lights for 12 hours a day and you'll still recoup much more than that, you know. So when it comes to, you know, load shedding, when it comes to labor costs, labor costs actually when the survey was done, it cost your country something like in case of 57%, you know, when it comes to load shedding. So the stats are so high. Unemployment is high. So all these are contributing factors. And the one thing came up in the stat that these guys did the survey, they found the infrastructure, the road or the transport system itself is so frayed, it is so useless. You know, if you look at the toll roads itself, so they are forced to pay money at all, yet the toll roads are not up to standard. Now, this is revenue that the company has to generate to pay the government once again. And the upkeep of it is so poor, or basically no upkeep at all. Right. So, once again, all the aspects mentioned when it comes to employment, when it comes to road infrastructure, when it comes to the, the load sharing, okay, a lot of places or the areas at the moment have the water issues. So, these are all contributing factors that actually stems down from the government. And if you listen to our government, I think last month he gave the so-called speech, you know, and uh, the nation, he has said nothing valuable, absolutely nothing. He is so good with words. He doesn't grasp on dates. He tells you we are working. Now he needs a minister of electricity. Obviously, in our mindset, this will be the third minister. The first two is useless. Now he employs the third, which the taxpayers are going to pay him a couple of million rands a month for. Right, and then he calls it a state of disaster. This state of disaster stemmed from the government itself. It stemmed from him because he's been in the parliament. He's been the president for the last few years. He did not occupy office the last month. So there was no strategies that was put in place. You know, the odd part is he's worth $6.7 billion. He's supposed to be that type of businessman. He sat on Anglo-American. He sat on the board of, uh, I think, Standard Bank. You know, he had something McDonald's, I think 60% or was owned by a person with such beautiful, amountable background, was supposed to have such knowledge about business ethics itself, took a country with all these people and actually blew it up to the ground. But that's the part I can't understand. Yeah, sad indeed. And uh, many will agree with you that uh, this man... Had it all, but you know, we know he's backed by the conglomerates and so forth. But uh, as we end up on the truth about uh, vehicle finance, about balloon payments, and you know, many, uh, many are getting caught left, right, and center. And perhaps a quick, uh, you know, analysis from you, Anwar. Oh, very, very quickly. Balloon payment. When a person has to buy a vehicle on HP, generally they pay a deposit. And let's look at a 200,000 vehicle. A person takes 40,000 rands and he pays it. Uh, down and then he pays his installments. A balloon payment, there is no deposit. What generally happens is you take that 40,000, they put it at the end of the term. In other words, if you take the vehicle on higher purchase for a five year period, so you'll pay no deposit, you'll pay an installment for 160,000 rands. You won't pay for 200,000. At the end of the term, that which is five years, you will have to pay 40,000 rands in cash back to them. So basically, it is a deposit that you pay at the end, not at the beginning. I, I mean, that is a simplified way I could actually put it. But what people or what happens generally where a person gets caught out is 
that at the end of that five-year period, he realizes the car has depreciated, he realizes he doesn't have 40000 he didn't account and accumulate or basically save that 40000 So what the person does, he refinances the vehicle, and that is the catch line. So a person who takes a vehicle in HP, he needs to basically find a break, a break point where he can balance both, because if you cannot, you're bound to have a problem. You're bound to have a problem. So people need to be very, very, very comfortable in payment. Read all the fine writing because I know the excitement when it comes to purchasing a new vehicle, irrespective of what type of higher purchase the person, uh, you know, uh, uh, gets. The fact of the matter, you need to read all the fine bits, understand it. I don't believe a person should actually sign the day uh, on one specific day. He needs to take it home. He needs to go through it. He needs to use it, uh, use the pen. That's what generally I do. Mark all the strong points, you know, pick it up with the salesperson. And thereafter, if you're confident and you, you're reliant on what he said in that contract, then only sign. So basically, power of attorney is given to you yourself. You know, use it in such a way that it benefits you and not the company or finance or institution. So, Zakhalaf, on a powerful evening, and whether perhaps a parting words before I let you go. You know, I'm actually waiting for the call from Srinagar Beach to go back home. You know, my my home is isolated. I'm mm. with my family and every single time there's low chili. Uh, obviously, um, you know, we go to eat out. There's a thing about light that keeps you warm. It keeps you safe. So we always look for light. It costs me fuel to actually travel out of Srinagar Beach each and every single time. You know, so the point of the matter is, Brother Shepard, inshallah, you know, it's time, as I always mentioned before, you know, we regroup ourselves together. You know, take all religions, take all race groups, and tell the government exactly what we think of them in a remarkable, humble way. So maybe that way they will understand the plight of the people in this country, the people that they are pushed into foreign countries by force, you know, the people that have lost loved ones and lives. You know, so at the end of the day, if we do not regroup, do not put our differences aside, this low chain, this water crisis, this crime, nothing is going to get better. So somebody out there, some elders, you know, maybe they should regroup all the people together in the masses, you know, not for any other personal gain, but for the gain of the people. And inshallah, do something constructive with it. So maybe we won't, this will be a thing of the past, bluntly, yes. Inshallah, Anwar, and you have a mashallah evening ahead. Hopefully, you'll get the call because uh, I've got the big generator on and you know every second what happens. But Allah, Allah may Allah give us barakah in our earnings and uh, barakah in whatever we do because these, uh, these are times of uh, zulum and oppression. Anwar, you have a blessed evening ahead. I'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, sir, people, uh, time for us to go for the Isha Zan and inshallah. We will continue after that.